Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick note. In this episode, Sam and I review the movie Dear Evan Hansen, which touches on such issues as uh, mental health and suicide. So if, especially that latter topic, is a sensitive one for you, we just ask that you take that into consideration um, while listening to this episode. The discussion never gets too frank or graphic in any way, but it's still an element of our discussion and the plot and story of this movie, just to let you know. Okay, on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cedars A&E podcast. As I say every time, that is a tentative title. We might come up with a more interesting one at some point. Uh, I am Ben Hyatt, and I'm with my co-host, Sam Acosta. Say hello, Sam. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm doing... I'm doing. Yeah. Honestly, I uh, have a lot of thoughts and emotions kind of tied up with what we're going to talk about today. I do too. Um, It's a movie that I'm guessing most people have heard of. I I think so. It's a fairly big profile release. Yeah. Um, It's called Dear Evan Hansen, and it's based on a 2015 Broadway musical. I personally have been a fan of it, I think since 2016, I think is when I discovered it. And it's honestly one of my top musicals for a number of reasons. What was your background with this piece of work, this musical, going into this movie? So, as, as some of you know, I am a theater major. Theater is... True. Theater is, is, is pretty much my wheelhouse. But I have a caveat to that that a lot of my fellow theater majors don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of musicals. How come? I, I don't, I think Explain a lot, your wrong opinion to me, Sam. Oh, of course, of course. I think a lot of musicals rely too heavily on their music. And so there's catchy songs, but there's not great, great story. Part of why I love theater and the art is I love the stories being told. Mm. So I am personally of the belief that I think just normal plays hold the story a little bit, deliver a bit more impactful stories. I'm thinking of a musical right now written by the same people who wrote this one that I feel like is much more, its songs are what carry it and the story is pretty weak. Right. It stars an Australian actor named Hugh Hmm. as a circus performer person. Uh, I'm not going to name this musical because I feel like I'll get a lot of hate for saying that it's not great. Which it isn't, in my opinion. It just has some good songs. I think, I think it has some good songs, but I feel like it doesn't care about its story at all. Which is fine. Yeah. The songs, I think, are catchy. Yeah. So I get what you mean. Yeah. So that, I can relate to you on some that Some people call me a snob for that. I would. Yeah. That's but fair. that's just me. Right. It's my opinion. Take it as you will. Take, take it as you will. Yeah. But I, I, I knew of it, obviously. Because just because I don't like a bunch of musicals, I still keep up to date. I knew Dear Evan Hansen. I enjoy a lot of the songs from Dear Evan Hansen. I had acquainted myself with the story. I have a lot of friends who love it. Mm. Growing like being in the theater major, the whole department oh, was I bet. excited for this movie to come out. Um, so I went in not completely blind. I knew the story. I knew the beats. I knew some of the songs. Um, and then when I went, to, I went to go see it. Mm-hmm. So. Should we move on to quick plot synopsis? Or I guess, yeah. Yeah? Uh, we open up on this this uh, high school senior. 
Evan Hansen. He mm-hmm. is someone who struggles with um, mental health issues. So I'd say anxiety and depression are the two that kind of rise to the top. And you see that Definitely. very early on. Um, the reason the play is called, and the movie is called Dear Evan Hansen, is because we start the movie and we see him writing a letter to himself. And that is an assignment his therapist gave him to basically reassure himself, to encourage himself. And it's supposed to start with, Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be a great day, and here's why. And then he's supposed to kind of remind himself of the positive aspects of his life and what is good about himself. And that opening scene uh, basically establishes, we see him trying to write that letter and really struggling. Basically not being able to come up with any real positive aspect of the day. Um, Instead of kind of devolving into this internal uh, cycle of kind of putting himself down and having a pessimistic outlook in life. So anyway, we follow his life and early on, we kind of see him walking, navigating high school. There's a girl he likes that he's afraid to talk to. And then there's this bully who, um, his name's Connor, Connor Murphy. And what cat, the catalyst of the story is Evan writes out the letter mm-hmm. and in the letter he mentions his crush on Zoe, Zoe Murphy, his crush, who is the sister of Connor. Yeah. And then he, for some reason, prints it out at a library printer and Connor ends up picking up the letter and saying, wait a minute, you mentioned Zoe? And he gets really mad and he storms out with the letter. Evan tries to get her from him, but he can't. And then a few days later, it's revealed that Connor has taken his own life. And the parents find the note uh, with addressed to Evan Hansen, because it says Dear Evan Hansen, on Connor's body. Mm-hmm. And they assume that it is his suicide note to Evan. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, Evan doesn't really know what to do. And he sees how desperate the parents are to... Uh, Basically, the relief they have in at least seeing that their son, who they thought had no friends, was willing to write this very deep, um, open note to a friend, who mm-hmm. they assume is a friend, Evan, and he basically ends up lying to them. And that is the catalyst of all the events going forward from that moment. So, now that we have the plot, yeah. the big moment of truth, then, what did you think of this movie? I went into this movie concerned. And this is an issue I think we will address later for sure because it's been coming up a lot in a lot of critical uh, critics reviews. Um, this movie stars Ben Platt, who is mm-hmm. the original Evan Hansen from Broadway. When he first started the role, he was 22, I believe. So now he's 27. I think he just turned 28 this Friday. He did. When the movie came out, which is uh, kind of funny. And... He was chosen to play this role again because he's kind of like the person associated with Evan Hansen. And his father, Mark Platt, is a movie producer generally, and he was involved in getting this movie made. So actually one of the main criticisms, main points I see brought up by a lot of critics' reviews is this kind of perceived nepotism and this choosing of an actor who doesn't necessarily fit the role of a high school senior, you know, just completely ignoring the fact that Hollywood has done that since forever, but we can get into that later. So I went into it worried because I'd read all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could say I was very pleasantly surprised at how well this told the story mm-hmm. that I am familiar with. 
Definitely not a perfect movie. And there are some so small changes I would have made personally. But I came out of this movie feeling the same way I felt when I first listened to the soundtrack, which it, it meant a lot to me personally. And I saw some review described it as like a love letter to this musical. And I feel like it very much is. It's a well-crafted Dear Evan Hansen movie, an adaptation that, as far as I'm concerned, hit most of the major beats of what I would have wanted. Mm -hmm. Barring some parts that weren't necessarily my favorite. But overall, positive. Now, Sam, as yes. someone who, as far as I can tell, isn't as much of a, wasn't as much of a fan going in, just in terms of you weren't necessarily as familiar with the material. What was your impression of it overall? Um, so I w went going in having heard the same things you did. Yeah. Same concerns. I was like, ooh, I've, I haven't. Because at the point I saw it, I'd only known the critics' reviews, which were very harsh. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, harsh. it's currently sitting at a 33%. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, ooh, this is going to be... It's a long movie, too. It's two hours and 17 minutes. So that was, was like, another thing I saw before going in. I was yeah. like, ooh. I was like, this is going to be a long two hours and 17 minutes. Yeah. But it was very well done. I really, really loved this movie. It hit every emotion I think that it could have and I, I will admit knowing some of the things that were taken out some really big songs true that were removed um some that were put in specifically for the movie um I do recognize that it's missing some things mm -hmm. from the original musical but I, I think the way you said it was great it's it's a love letter and even someone who wasn't super involved in the original musical like someone who like has seen it or like followed it for a long time yeah i can tell that it's a love letter to this amazing awarded musical and i really did enjoy it i wasn't bored i was engaged the entire time i sympathized with the characters and it i was just really really happy with how they did it mm. for sure yeah so i think I want to start by just talking about, I guess I don't know whether to start with, I don't want this to just be me responding to critics and being like, well, it's actually good. I, want, I don't want that to be just purely what right. we do. I, I want it to be our perspective, and then we can right. hit on I think, responding. But I think that's something that makes this unique, is it's an adaptation. Yes. It is an adaptation. And I think what makes the critic reviews so unique for this movie specifically mm -hmm. is that it looks like these are film critics who are barely familiar with the story judging True. this as a movie from this age and because as as I'm I'm working on the review for this yeah that'll be up probably later this week that'll, yeah that'll be up later this week yeah I see two issues that people are saying have I have two issues that I saw. Let's see if they're the same. Issues with Ben Platt yes. being cast. Mm -hmm. And uniquely and oddly enough, mm -hmm. problems with the story. Mm -hmm. So this is on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the critic consensus on this movie. Dear Evan Hansen does a fair job of capturing the emotion of its source material, but it's undermined by questionable casting and a story that's hard to swallow. 
It's interesting. I would expect a story touching on suicide and mental illness to be hard to swallow. It's supposed to be hard That's to swallow. That's the point. It's, not, it's exactly. Which is something that frustrates me. It, um, yeah. And then as far as casting goes, literally, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield, I looked this up, and I might look it up again. Oh, I believe I, they were both 27 when they first- I have first... an entire list. Oh, no. I- because this, that's what, so I came in hearing the same things you did. Same, yeah. That he's old. Uh-huh. I didn't know his age beforehand. Yeah. So I assumed, hearing this, this guy's in his 30s, maybe even 40s. That's just like crazy for him to and be And so I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get what people are saying. I went to see the movie. It looked fine to me. There's, I think, I, the only scene I would have even been like, okay, is near the end, words fail. When he's like really just showing so much emotion and anxiety and like stress and like sadness on his face. I was like, okay, that does look like a person in their late twenties. Yes. Besides that, it didn't distract me at all. Exactly. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty good that they got this 30, 40 year old to do that. Yeah. I looked up his age. He was 27 while they were filming this movie. Correct. This is a standard that mm-hmm. Hollywood's been using for years. I mean, I do you have what, a list? I, I do have a list. Would you like to jump into that? I so I was thinking shows like Riverdale, Thirteen mm-hmm. Reasons Why, Cole Sprouse, almost thirty years old. Mm-hmm. He'll be thirty. Uh, he just turned twenty nine, actually. Okay, he just turned twenty nine. So for he's been in his late twenties while filming the show about high school teenagers. Yeah. Uh, I thought about Thirteen Reasons Why. Many, many of the actors from that. I mean, the girl who played the guy who plays um, Zach Dempsey. I think his name is Ross Butler. Um, Ashley Murray, who plays um, Josie, mm-hmm. all almost thirty. Gosh, playing these high schoolers. So I kept thinking to myself, what is going on? Yeah, that there's such a discrepancy between Ben Platt and these other actors, and. I'll, I'll let you say your thoughts before I dig, because I'm about to dig in. I think dig into. I something. think I know what you're about to say, but I, I. It's the vitriol, with which people have like talked about, how he just like some reviews just get mean. Mm-hmm. Like he looks so old, and they're like disgusted mm-hmm. when he looks like any actor in any high school age movie like they're all they all look old too old Mm -hmm. but that's hollywood high school Mm -hmm. and i guess what i'd like to add onto that is there's usually a there's typically one of the main reasons they choose actors that are you know above 18 is because you avoid child labor laws right you avoid having to regulate how many hours an actor can work all that stuff so you avoid those complications so it's a very standard practice and it has been forever like I guess what I'm most familiar with, like I brought up, was Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield, who were both 27 when they first started as Spider-Man, which means they were 30, 31, at least in their sequel, sequels of their original movies. I think Andrew Garfield was like 29 or 30, and then Toby Maguire was like 31 or 32 when he did Spider-Man 3. I and nobody cared. Exactly, and something interesting while I was doing research for this. Yeah, this does not just go into the modern. 1961, Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh-huh. a classic Audrey Hepburn movie. She plays uh, a naive girl in her late teens. Yeah. Was 32 <laughs> when she did this iconic role. And it wasn't a problem. And it wasn't a problem. Because it's a movie. So, like, 
they are not going to look exactly the part necessarily, but it's you're not distracted by it because it's always been this way. Exactly. I don't understand. Like we we have everyone at this current point in in our cinematic experience has grown up seeing mid twenty year olds, late twenty year olds, thirty year olds play high schoolers, and at most in the past it's been like a joke, like. Oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Like, people kind of observing, like, that is kind of weird how they're older. Mm -hmm. Interesting observation. Not a reason to, like, completely bash an actor and, like, mock him. Exactly. When he does, I think, the best role, the best job anyone could do in this character because he understands it so well. He was, he was there since the inception, pretty much, of this character. Yeah. This is Dear Evan Hansen is Ben Platt, pretty yeah. much, and vice versa. You're not going to get a more raw portrayal of this character no. than Ben Platt. He is Evan Hansen. And I get like, yeah, anyway, you go into what you said you were going to go into because I think I know, and you can and you can start us off, I think, in where we're going now. This is – I'm going to allow a pause here in case you decide to edit this section out because sure. I don't – this is going to be... A tangent? Uh, it might be a tangent. It might not come across the way I want it to come across. Sure. Why? And what makes me mad about this? Mm -hmm. Is Ben Platt... I think the thing that sets apart Ben Platt from people like Cole Sprouse, Audrey Hepburn, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield... Yeah. Is... And something that I've heard... Uh, I think I've started to... It started to be talked about more. Is Hollywood is creating this standard for what you're supposed to look like, mm. especially as shows about high school um, or oh even gosh. early college are becoming much more frequent. It's about the hunky. Exactly. It's about finding the penultimate attractive person by today's standards exactly and being like yeah they're a teenager. that's normal that's yeah this this yeah. is what teenagers look like which is kind of a problem in and of itself it, it is a problem in and of itself yeah and it's creating like i mean think of our society nowadays body image is one of the utmost problems that is plaguing our society and especially college students high school students oh, middle, yeah. school, middle school students it's ripping us apart and it's being worsened by Hollywood saying this is what you're supposed to look like. We grow mm. up watching these shows thinking this is what we're supposed to look like and when we don't look like it we feel worse about ourselves. Ben Platt doesn't fit the Hollywood spectrum, I think. Yeah. Especially in this movie. And especially in this movie because he, he's not supposed to. Yeah, and he I I read about how he talked about the process like he lost weight to kind of appear more like, just like an awkward person in general, kind of like have more of an awkward, uh, what's the word? The way he, way he carried himself mm -hmm. could be that. So he lost weight, he grew his hair out, so his hair is kind of more messy and all over the place, um, kind of like a curly. He looks awkward. Exactly. Which is the point. Which is the, exactly the point. And I think that's what makes some critics mad is because even when we have films about awkward outcasts, they're played by Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. <laughs> like these conventionally attractive people. Yeah. So but that's not it, it's frustrating that Ben Platt did this role exactly how he was supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. But because he's not conforming 
to this disgusting standard that's being put into place, he's now getting told that it's uncomfortable to watch him be a high schooler. It's, it's beyond that language. It's, yeah, that's it's the mean. most tame phrase yeah, that I've I want to look through used. some of the Wikipedia stuff just to and if you see not Wikipedia, Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway. It just it just makes me angry yeah. that critics are supposed to be the ones making films better. It's critique. It, you're supposed to critique. And the goal of critique is to help improve. And instead of doing that, they are giving life and justification to a system that is hurting countless people. And that just and that is literally the exact opposite of the purpose of this film. It's funny because it's oh, it's basically reaffirming the motivation of this film in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's the very attitude they're coming at it with is showing, yeah, this is what the movie is about. There's even like a whole section later on where they get into a little bit of like people on the internet just being completely like horrible, talking about certain situations and certain people. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I watched it with my little brother and we're both fairly well versed in just like internet stuff and memes and just kind of basically how the culture of the internet is mm. um not to brag or anything <laughs> not um, to brag. you're just a scholar <laughs> i'm just a scholar of the internet but we we were kind of laughing but we were also impressed because they show certain comments people make about this family later on in a certain context and we were like that's over the top and it's kind of almost comically dramatic but it's Exactly. Honestly, accurate to what happens. Exactly. Like, there's one line where, like, they say something that's just, like, horrible, and it's, like, it's, like, said in a joking way, like, oh, this family, huh, huh. And my brother and I laughed almost, like, out of a sense of, yeah, that's what it is. That's mm-hmm. how people talk, and it's actually accurate. And it's sad. And it's sad. And people's reactions to this movie, which, if you don't like this movie, totally fine. If you have problems with the way it's made, or even Ben... Platt's performance on its own merits, completely valid. If you're just attacking his looks or his age, it's such a superficial, uninsightful form of criticism. Mm-hmm. It's just mean. At least I think so. Yeah, you're right. I, I would, and I think maybe we could start moving into like a spoilery section. Yes. Where we can start talking about more of the meat. So from here on out, we're going to be talking yeah. more in depth about the story of this musical, which has been out for six years. So if you don't know the story, uh, cool. I guess you've lived under a rock. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, if you want to go see the movie without hearing our specific thoughts, I would say go do that. I think it's worth the watch. Oh, it's definitely worth the watch. Yeah, especially if you're a fan, even if you're not. Um, this will. This is a story... That even if it doesn't speak to you personally, which I think it will speak to a lot of people, even if people aren't aware that it will speak to them. Even if it doesn't, it I think it will give you a better understanding of maybe some of the other people in your life. It really hit me specifically in this very special, like a, a, just a place deep in my soul that I didn't expect it to. So... I think everyone could benefit from watching this. Yeah. This um, musical came to me in a time when I li- in my life where it, it did speak to me in a way that I don't think anything had spoken before or since. 
And I think that's part of why I was worried about this movie because I didn't want it to not capture that the essence of it that I think makes it such a special story, such a unique story, such a powerful story. Not even in the traditional sense of powerful. Because I think the marketing of this movie and the play often ends up being, oh my gosh, it's a Broadway show and it's so emotional and it's going to like, you're going to walk out of, it with a, out of it with a whole new perspective. And I think people hear that and they expect, oh, this is like a, a Hallmark movie almost. Mm. Like a good Hallmark movie. It's like, you know, very uplifting, oh, very yeah. life-affirming. And I think it's, it's life-affirming and it's hopeful, but it goes places. It really does. And not even in the ways you'd expect. It's not like a, oh my gosh, this is like so dramatic in like a visceral or like a gratuitous way hones in on people's relationships and shows what makes them work and what can completely destroy them. And it doesn't shy away from showing what happens Mm -hmm. when that happens. And it just is so, it's such a real feeling show, at least to me. And why I would want people to see the movie is I feel like it captures that fairly well and does it. And in the same way, doesn't hold any punches when it comes to telling its story, which I appreciated, mm-hmm. which is why I think a lot of people are getting mad at this movie because yeah. it doesn't. I think something that looking at critic reviews back when this movie was coming out, yeah, about to come out, maybe it was like a few months ago, I was talking to my parents and I was like, hey, if you have the chance, we should go see this movie together. And my mom was like, oh, what is it about? So I explained the plot. Yeah. And I sp- explained it in pretty deep detail. Like, spoiler level detail and she was like well that's weird like that Mm. that just wouldn't happen and i think too many critics are taking it from that point of view because and i wrote as i was writing my review i i wrote a specific section that i think i might quote word for word because it was my raw thoughts on it yeah do i think that this event could actually happen in real life probably not No. Do I see how things happened and understand the logical jump from event to event? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The Evan Hansen's social anxiety, his anxiety in general, is absolutely the fuel to everything that happens. And you're not going to understand why he does what he does if you don't take anxiety seriously. Because mm. a lot of the reviews I've seen is like, why Why did he lie? He didn't have to lie. They So many reviews talk mm-hmm. about like, this protagonist, he does some really horrible things. Which I guess we can go, I'm just going to go right and kind of explain just what that is. Yeah. So he lies about, to this family, about being the, a friend of, the, of their son who committed suicide. And he at first is doing it basically out of pity mm-hmm. and because he is very, uh, he has a lot of social anxiety. So he kind of just feels pressured. Like, I just want people to like, I want to be a source of comfort and I don't want to like hurt people. Mm-hmm. So at first he's like, yeah, sure. I was his friend. And then he makes up this story about, um, him going out which it's based on a thing that actually happened to him in his life where he went out and climbed a tree and fell off. And then he, in real life, he, was just kind of left by himself and eventually I think found his way back to his boss because he worked out like as a park ranger. He worked as a park, park ranger, ranger and he broke his arm. Yeah. Well, after he fell out of this tree and then nobody was there to pick him up and there's this whole song called For Forever 
where he makes up the story about that day where it was him and Connor hanging out. Um, this is, he tells a story to the family as kind of like a source of comfort. Like Connor was someone who cared about people, who cared about me. And he describes all these specific things as they're giving him details about Connor's life. And he's like, oh yeah, the ice cream shop he liked, yeah, we actually went there that day. And then he, the whole point of that song is at the end, he talks about how he falls out of the tree and there was someone there to pick him up. Connor was there. And I think what's so essential to this character, understanding why he's doing what he's doing, why he's lying to this family about their son, who is now dead, is a misdirected, misguided sense of compassion of this family is so desperate to find some meaning in the face of their son's death that I'm going to be able to provide that, even if it's based on a lie. It's some comfort in this horrible experience they're going through. And I feel like from that moment, it feels like people stopped watching. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen reviews that say he he gets away with this. There is a specific review I read that said, well, in the end, the family still is fine with him and he gets the girl right but which that's is not an how absolute it ends. lie because yes. the family decides not to reveal his secret yeah because they're just they just want to be done yeah and and evan takes it upon himself to reveal to everyone hey stop giving this family hate i lied yeah he doesn't get the girl he stops becoming popular everyone hates him he in the end he doesn't get anything. Almost nothing has changed other than his mental, his mental state. Yeah. If you look at where he is at the beginning and where he is at the end, almost nothing has changed. If he, anything, it's almost like his worst fears have come true. Because mm-hmm. I think at the beginning, part of his anxiety is that he feels like people are going to hate him, to not like him. Mm-hmm. And at the end, people have a reason to be mad with him. In that, you have the family who does eventually come to a place of forgiveness. Not that they accept him back into their home or their family, but he meets up with Zoe at the end, and she basically says, we don't hold it against you. Yeah. But they don't... There's an acknowledgement by the movie that he can't undo what he has done. Right. Which is how life works. If you do something like that, like you can't undo the hurt you did. Right. The most that can happen is forgiveness and then moving forward, which is what I think the ending portrays so beautifully mm-hmm. is he admits what he do- he has done to everyone and he basically becomes an outcast at school for a while then he takes it upon himself to do everything he can to actually learn a little bit about who connor actually was so he finds like his list of favorite books from a yearbook read through all of them he traces down tracks down everyone he can who had any connection to connor to try to find like stories they have about connor and then he sends what he finds to the family Mm -hmm. and included is this video of him playing a guitar um, singing a song at like a I think a rehab Mm -hmm. center and it's this beautiful moment of this is what and it's done anonymously yeah he doesn't take any credit for it yes but I think what is so beautiful about this movie is you have this whole story about false hope and I think the songs do a really good job of conveying like you feel hopeful when you're like when people are singing them, but then when you actually think about it, you're like, but this is all built on a lie. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when the truth finally comes out and after the damage is done in the aftermath, you see characters hurt and broken from what's happened pursue instead of the false hope, an actual path to healing. Mm-hmm. And it's not big and showy and musical. It's this quiet song that's played 
And it's actually the song Connor's singing while this whole scene is happening. But you see this like actual warmth and actual hope as the family kind of gets a little bit of a closure, saying like, oh, here's some stuff about Connor that we never really knew. And now we can kind of see the good side of him that maybe we couldn't see when he was alive, when he was the troubled person that he was, the complicated person that he was. I, I'm going to go out a little bit on a limb here. Okay. Because I don't think we've mentioned a really important aspect of this. Mm-hmm. The critic reviews are terrible, we said. Yes. 33%. If you look on Rotten Tomatoes at the audience score... Slightly different. Slightly different. It's a 90%. It's really high. And that's 500 plus reviews. Whereas the critics reviews, it's 173. For... Much bigger group of people. Exactly. Like, I'm looking at some movies just to compare it to. Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe only has a 76 Audience? Audience score. Dang. And it's amazing. Like, so, something I think that the critics, and it might not even be the critics' fault, the generational difference between critics and audience. Mm. Who does this speak to most? Um, this show is, is a show about mental health, which in some ways has become a lot more of a conversation in the last decade or so. Oh, definitely. Um, In some bad ways, in some ways that are very not healthy, and, but also in some good ways because it's, there's awareness. And while that awareness, I think, and this could be a a very long conversation for another time, has been manipulated, the reason that this, this musical doesn't manipulate that it gives it true and raw, but not being gratuitous with it, not being harmful with it. It's telling a very real story. And at least when I look at all the critics, like when I'm scrolling through, it's a lot of older older people. That's, yeah. I would um, say the, the age. The age gap is pretty big yeah. between college and below. And like millennials and Gen Z mm-hmm. is kind of where this musical hits. It's I think who it's written to. Yeah, honestly. it's written. I mean, it's a, written about at least. Mm-hmm. It's about people in high school, and that's why it speaks to us so much. Is because millennials and on are experiencing higher and higher levels of mental health issues, and. Which is why it's become more of a conversation piece, but also why it's become more manipulated is because it's being manipulated to advertise things to our generations. But what this musical does is it doesn't advertise it to us. It it gives us something to feel and relate to mm. in a way that it's not just like, yes, depression, yes, anxiety, I feel that. But to see it in such a way that we can understand it in ourselves more because of what we see because of the songs and because of the story and i think that not that mental health doesn't plague older generations but i think the stigma of mental health that older generations have stops them from fully 
realizing how much this means to us. I agree. You don't see the types of conversations about mental health in literature or entertainment or media generally if you go back to like the 80s or the 90s or the 70s as much as it's being talked about now. Younger generations are more exposed to open conversations, not necessarily all of them being productive and healthy conversations, Mm -hmm. but more exposed and aware of these conversations just because they're more prevalent than they were, as far as I know. Right. Um, This is a story written, as you said, at the very least about our generation. Yeah. If not to our generation. And so... It's, it's special to us in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, there's going to be people who might not understand it. and if, That's fine. And that's fine. That it really is fine. Until you start making fun of Ben Platt. <laughs> exactly. Get off gonna, my lawn. Oh, my gosh. Critics? Um, making fun of my boy. I know, we've been talking a lot about the critics and a lot about people's issues with this film. It's not to discredit anyone's opinions. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. Where the purpose or meaning behind the opinion, or behind the verbalization Mm. of that opinion has come across very aggressively. It's reflective, I think, of the way people talk on the internet Mm -hmm. now. And it's interesting because it's in, like, the New York Times. Like, the New York Times review of Dear Evan Hansen, I tried to read through it, but it just felt mean. And I'm like, this is, like, supposed to be language we hear on, like, Reddit boards. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is like professional film criticism. It is so ironically proving the point of the film. It is so, yeah, exactly. It's just reaffirming the message of the movie that apparently is a troubling, problematic one. Mm -hmm. This used to be a problem only among more conservative audiences. And I get the concern. Having flawed protagonists who make bad decisions, they aren't good role models. And I think growing up as a homeschooled Christian... Mm-hmm. There was, uh, at least in my social circles, a lot of talk about media presenting things, presenting people making bad decisions, bad choices, and you know you shouldn't show your kids that, you shouldn't show, you shouldn't watch that because that character is not making good decisions. I think the point of stories is to show us truth, and tr- it's true that if you make bad decisions, bad consequences happen. Not necessarily immediately. It's also true that in the moment you might feel like this is good, this is great, until it all falls apart. And I think I've just seen recently among certain movies that present flawed protagonists, the focus doesn't become, does this story ring true to life? Mm-hmm. It's, oh, wait, is this character a good person or a bad person? Mm-hmm. And if they're a bad person, this movie is bad. There's these three criteria. I think it's her name's Anne Hornaday. She's a film critic. And I have it this at the top of a note on, in my notes app with a bunch of movie reviews. But she said, whenever you're reviewing a movie, there should be three questions you ask. What was the filmmaker trying to achieve? Did he or she achieve it? And was it worth achieving? Mm -hmm. Saying that Ben Platt looks ugly (laughs) is not answering any of those questions. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say that the first question, uh, the last question, was it worth achieving, is what critics are getting at when they criticize the story. But I feel like it, how they're reading it is such a superficial interpretation and view of the events. Mm-hmm. Basically saying, well, this character makes a really bad choice, and that's bad, and therefore the movie is bad, which isn't logical mm-hmm. in my mind. It's, okay, but what does the movie have to say about that choice? Is it 
encouraging choices like that or is it discouraging? And if you watch through till the end, I would say it really says that lying comes with really big consequences. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. You pretty much hit the nail on that one. Yeah. Which is just interesting because I feel like criticism, Hollywood critics, movie critics usually are people who are mo- more open to like there's a reason series like The Sopranos or Breaking Bad are so popular. It's because we're open to the idea of a protagonist being flawed and making terrible choices as long as we understand why they're doing it. That doesn't mean we uh, condone, mm-hmm. but it means we empathize and can see that capacity even in ourselves to make bad choices and mm-hmm. to be wary of that, which I think is good for anyone, especially Christians. But um, that, that point that you were making earlier yeah. about a lot of Christian media shying away from portraying people who don't make good choices Hmm. as if there's no lessons to learn from that. I always just think about how many characters in the Bible, almost all of them, almost all Jesus, (laughs) pretty much all of them. I mean, we grow up hearing stories of David and Goliath. Yeah. And it's like a great story. Great, great on David's part. Great on David's part. Good job, man. Exactly. What a G. Then we fast, like, we never hear later on, like, the David and Bathsheba story. We hear that King George stole the rubber ducky. Exactly. And we're like, oh, that's not great. bad King George. Not, oh my gosh, this guy had an affair with this other man's wife and then had that man essentially murdered. Right. And he is called by scripture a man after God's heart. And... That doesn't mean the Bible is condoning what he does. The story around that narrative mm-hmm. is meant to show how terrible that action was. And then afterwards, at least in the Psalms, we see, I think Psalm 51 and maybe another one. There's one of them where people, I think it says after David like stole Bathsheba, like did that whole thing. Um, and it's him repenting to God of, I've done something terrible. And against you and you only have I sinned. Mm-hmm. There's an instructive moral there in a story where nobody is really the good guy, I guess besides Nathan, I think is the prophet who I think comes right. to him um, yeah. and says like, and veggie tells it's the flannel graph of like you, this guy, you stole his sheep and that's bad. And then mm-hmm. David's like, or King George, I guess in that context, like that is bad. And he's like, well, that's you. You're the bad guy. And that's the point of the story. Mm-hmm. This is a whole, I could, I could talk about yeah, this. Yeah, dude, I feel like day. I could talk about this for so long. Um, I feel like I talked a lot this episode. So oh, I there, talked a lot too. Is there any any thoughts? I could do a lightning round. We want to do a lightning round. Let's do a lightning round of stuff. Like one sentence. Okay. Uh, maybe a criticism and a positive thing, and then we can give our overall impressions, like maybe a rating. Okay. One thing I did want to mention is, I believe all the singing in this movie feels like it's done on set, mm-hmm. like Ben Platt, and I think most of the actors are singing in their scenes as opposed to recorded audio being played over. It definitely gives. Even if it wasn't done that way, yeah. it feels like it was done that way, which was amazing. Regardless, perfect choice. Mm-hmm. So many musicals. It annoys the heck out of me how they characters start singing, and then it's like the audio all around them just cuts out, mm-hmm. and it's just like this recorded auto-tune thing, and it's like, oh, well, this isn't real anymore. Mm-hmm. And this whole movie is about, it's very, it's meant to, it's directed uh, Steve Chopsky, mm-hmm. Stephen Chopsky. Um, he directed the Perks of Being a Wallflower and Wonder. Wonder is an amazing movie. Perks of Being a Wallflower is also a very yes. good movie. I've seen Wonder and I've seen parts of Perks of Being a Wallflower. But he's an amazing director and he's really good at capturing like an authentic feel mm-hmm. in his films. And I feel like this one does it really well, even though it's a musical, which I think is an accomplishment in and of itself. For sure. One thing 
I think I might have changed when he's singing that whole, basically his confession to the family. Mm -hmm. I think in that moment, they did a really good job beforehand. You see the, I think the mom and the dad arguing about how like, because he's he's a stepfather. Mm -hmm. And she basically says to him, like, you weren't really his father. They're like having this really emotional argument. And Evan realizes like, this is because of my lies. They've built their lives around these lies. And now they're like hating each other for it. Mm -hmm. So you feel this weight when he enters this song. But I think in that moment I realized, and he says that in the song, like, this is not a worthy explanation. I, I know there is none. Nothing can make sense of all the things I've done. I wish that almost like in that moment the song had been cut short. And maybe because you know, at the end of the song, the mom looks at him and says, like, I think you should leave. And yeah. she says it like nicely, but you can still she's ho- you can see she's holding back like so much emotions. I almost wish they had like emphasized the point of like, this is the shift from his fantasy to reality mm-hmm. by like shifting away from the music in that moment, like including a section and then just like cutting it short, maybe even come back to the end of the song, which is really good because they do that. They have the very end be at a different point in time. That was the one change I thought of making just because I don't know. That was sure. me being a director. I, I absolutely loved just how raw this movie was. Mm. The scene that I think spoke to me a lot was, um, I think this song is so big, so small. Oh gosh! One of the best parts of the movie, for sure. Um, it was just so, so beautifully filmed and sung, and just it was good. Yeah. On behalf of my theater friends, mm-hmm. the biggest complaint they had is that there were major songs pretty major songs cut from the film um, that were in the original. Anyone have a map? Anyone have a map? Which built a lot of similarities between Connor and Evan. Yes. Wasn't there. Uh, The director said he intentionally cut that song because he wanted to start the movie from Evan's perspective specifically, which I feel like is important to note. This whole movie is very much from his perspective. Oh, yeah. Which I think is why some critics kind of say like, it almost is like we're empathizing with him too much. I'm like, yeah, but this it's from his point of view. So you don't really feel the full weight of the badness of what he's doing until he realizes it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that aside. I believe there's four songs missing. It was Anyone Have a Map. Um, I believe Disappear was missing. Mm-hmm. To Break, to in, break a in a Glove. I did miss that one. That one's really good. And then Good For You. Yes. Of all, I believe that Good For You should have been in there. Yes. Um, good For You, for those of you who don't know, is a song sung primarily between... Evan and his mom, mm-hmm. after he's been offered um, a scholarship from the Murphy family because they're very rich, and his mom is working shifts but can't afford to send him to college. So they offered to give Evan Connor's college fund. Yeah. And Heidi, the mom, refuses it. Very much like a we like we don't need charity or money. We can we'll work for our money kind of thing. Yeah, I want. She's like, I want Evan to yeah. learn not to just rely on favors from people because it's very much this feeling that she gets that Evan has replaced her with this new family, mm. and that song is very much just this argument between Evan and his mom about like their just their relationship. And I felt like that scene, while it was okay that song would have just made it much more powerful. She was the, his mom, I think, was the one character who felt like, I guess maybe this is intentional because it's kind of from everyone's perspective. She, it didn't really feel like she was there mm-hmm. until the end. She would show up, 
but we didn't really get to see much of what she was thinking. We got a little bit of it in that scene, but I agree with you. I do think that song would have fleshed that out a little more. Mm. We've talked about this a good amount. We have. I've enjoyed it. I think it. our opinions are fairly clear. I would. I think I would give this one generally like a 7.5, maybe an 8 out of 10. I'll give it an 8, I think. Mm -hmm. 7.58. I'll give it the same rating. Yeah. Um, very well done. I think there was a couple, yeah, those couple few things that we said could have really helped. But overall, a great musical, and especially for people of our generation. Yeah. Something that I think will really speak to us. So I think we both would suggest at least go see it before you form your opinion on it. This has been the Cedars Annie podcast. Uh, big thanks to our audio editor, Katie, for helping us put this together, to Professor Gilbert for letting us use his setup, and of course to you, the listener, for getting through this whole episode. Um, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. It's free. Um, yeah, we're gonna try to keep doing this regularly, every week, releasing at least one episode. Thank you so much for listening. And goodbye. Would you like to say bye to the listeners, Sam? Goodbye, everyone. Bye.